Michelle, it's so good to have you back. Yay! I want to echo Michelle's words as always and as ever. Welcome to worship here at First Presbyterian Church of Berkeley on this first Sunday in November, this Daylight Saving Sunday, this Communion Sunday, this Commitment Sunday. Whew. We are overachievers, aren't we? A special welcome to those of you who are new to First Press, whether this is your very first time or you've been checking us out for a while, know this, you bless us with your presence. We invite you to fill out one of those connect cards that we have either in the pew racks in front of you or in the online chat on YouTube. It gives us an opportunity to get to know you better and to allow you to get to know us better. If you are new, you get to experience something really special today, Commitment Sunday, a day where every single member of this community is invited to give something of themselves to better the whole. A commitment of our time, our talents, and yes, even our treasure. Why? Because when it comes down to it, that is who we are. We are a people who take our faith seriously, who love our community fiercely, and who firmly believe that God is good, that resurrection is real, and that Jesus is not done with us yet. So friends, holding on to these holy truths, let us now make space in our hearts and our minds for the Spirit to transform us, our communities, and the world. Friends, let us pray. God, on this holiest of days, we proclaim the most outlandish truth. We belong to you. And in Jesus Christ, you belong to us. Help us understand the power and the hope of that holy truth so that we may respond with gratitude and love. This we pray in the name of our Savior, our provider, our Redeemer. Amen. Our scripture reading for today comes from the Gospel according to John, the final chapter, chapter 21. After Jesus' death and resurrection and subsequent miracles, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and jumped into the lake. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. 
When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now Peter felt hurt because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so we did it. We have arrived at the end of our four-week journey on stewardship, our four-week journey on belonging. Now, on the surface, it might seem like these two topics don't have much in common. One is about giving, and the other is about receiving. One is embodied in a practice, while the other in a people or a place. One feels more like an obligation, while the other more like a gift. Which begs the question, what does stewardship really have to do with belonging? A question we don't often ask, but we should. After all, one cannot exist without the other. You cannot give freely of yourself without having a place to receive. And you can't take part in community without sharing a part of yourself. Stewardship deepens our sense of belonging, and our sense of belonging inspires our stewardship. Logical in theory, yet so difficult in practice. For any of you who think that the one who preaches a message has already mastered it, let me, let me quickly disabuse you of that notion. I have struggled and continued to struggle with both of these things. Over the course of my life, I have bought, stored, and hoarded my fair share of toilet paper. I have calculated and assessed the precise cost of following Jesus and have walked away when I felt like the price was too high. And over the course of my life, I have made countless excuses not to show up to whatever holy party that God was throwing because it wasn't done in the way that I would have done it or involved the people I would have included. Somewhere along the way, I realized that it was easier to live on my own terms, on my own dime, on my own. It's less risky that way, less uncertain, less vulnerable. 
But as it turns out, it's also less meaningful. I think many of you would agree. This past week, I received email after email of your completed homework assignments from the past few weeks. In these sacred missives, you let me see into your jars of manna, those little and big reminders that you belong to God. Omers in the form of loved ones and family members, community groups and cycling groups, your collection of rocks gathered from various times and places, your students, your ability to sing in the choir, holy words of scripture, smiles from strangers, the beauty of nature, and ice cream. Of course, ice cream. You also confess the treasures and belongings that God is calling you to let go of. The idol of the past and expecting things to be as they once were. The energy of your youth the security of your bank account or your retirement account, your political views, your expectations of others, your desire to be perfect, your anger, your need to control yourself and those around you. Then finally, you painted me a picture of what could be, the ways God is calling you to reimagine things, things like the myth of scarcity or who you consider your neighbor, the idea that mission or outreach is something that we give as opposed to receive, the real value of a dollar, the goal of the inner life of faith as a means towards greater justice, and my personal favorite, reimagining what it means to be a Christian in the first place, what it means to be the church. Now, for those of you who are still working on your homework assignments, I am still accepting submissions. Just know that your email will be stored in a special folder in my inbox that I will access anytime I need to be reminded that God is good, that resurrection is real, and that Jesus is not done with us yet. A sacred set of truths that the disciples lived and learned from Jesus Christ himself. Oh, the disciples. A ragtag group of, are you sure you want to call that guy followers of Christ? Fickle and forgetful, eager and egotistical, short-sighted and short-tempered, but oh, did they love their Jesus. And who could blame them? Here are a people who literally experienced life before and after Christ. Whether as fishermen or tax collectors, before Christ meant that the disciples ate what they caught and profited from what they took. Like the Israelites in Egypt, they learned how to subsist and survive in a conventional economy, a world where you take care of you and yours. But all of that changed after Christ because with Jesus, they were feeding the thousands, traveling from town to town, performing miracles for free. And just like the Israelites in the wilderness, the disciples had learned how to trust and thrive in a divine economy. A world where the very Son of God takes care of you and yours. But now he was gone. The one they thought was the Messiah had been executed before their very eyes, leaving them to wonder, now what? Now what do we do? Now where do we go? Now how do we survive? 
terrifying questions that led this group of grieving disciples right back to the place they started, a fishing boat. Now, scripture tells us that seven disciples went out into the Sea of Tiberias that night, that zero fish were caught, that a man on the beach told them to cast their nets to the right side of their boat, and as a result, 153 fish found their way into the nets. Scripture tells us that the disciples didn't know who this mysterious stranger was at first, but when the nets were overflowing, they realized that it was Jesus, the one who they loved, the one who they lost, the one who always had answers that they were looking for and even answers that they weren't looking for. And Scripture tells us that after being executed as a criminal and after conquering death itself, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, made breakfast on a charcoal fire with some bread and some fish. Jesus fed his disciples one last time. The word incarnate, love incarnate, belonging incarnate. So once again, the disciples sat face to face and flesh to flesh with the one who called them out of their old lives and into a new one. The one who said crazy things like, blessed are the poor and love your enemies. The one who consorted with sinners and children alike. Jesus was alive and at table with them, asking them one final question. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? and tend my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. The ultimate mic drop. You see, up until the end, Jesus upsets our every expectation. Instead of a conventional economy where we just rely on ourselves or even a divine economy where we just rely on God, Jesus sets up a radical new economy where we are called to rely on each other, to take care of each other, to belong to each other. An economy where our love for God is transformed into a love for all people because that is the kind of God we worship. That is the kind of God we serve. Not one that says, do you love me? Then make a monument for me. Or do you love me? Then read more books about me. Or do you love me? Then worry only about me. No, ours is a God that says you belong to me and in belonging to me, you belong to him and to her and to them, you belong to each other, you belong with each other, you belong for each other. If you love me, then you love my people, every single one, with every word you speak, every action you take, and with every resource that you have. And in those three simple words, Jesus answers the disciples' most pressing question. Now what? Now that we belong to God, now that we have said yes to following Christ, now that we see what the Spirit is capable of, now what? We feed God's sheep. 
There's an ancient story that is told in various cultures known as the parable of the long spoons. Are any of you familiar with this story? Oh, good. It's a good one. In it, a man tells God that he would like to know what heaven and hell are like. And so God shows him two doors. Now, through the first door, the man finds a room with a very large round table with a huge pot of delicious smelling vegetable stew right in the middle of it. And yet everyone sitting around the table looks famished, even sickly. In their hands are spoons with handles longer than their arms. So long they can't get the spoons from the stew into their mouths. The man shudders at the sight of the shared suffering in the room, and God says to him, Now you have seen hell. Behind the second door is the exact same scene, the same table, the same stew, same number of people, same long spoons. But in this room, the people are well-fed and nourished. Puzzled, the man says to God, I don't understand. To which God replies, love only requires one skill. These people have learned to feed each other, to care for each other. Here, everyone feeds someone else, and everyone is fed by someone else. The man begins to smile at the sight of the shared joy in the room, and God says to him, Now you have seen heaven. Even our youngest members understand this very holy truth. This past summer in VBS, our kids were led in a game where they are told that they are local farmers in a local village trying to make a difference in their community. It's a fantastic game. If you have more questions, ask Beth Thompson. The person who makes the greatest difference in their community gets the coveted prize of a bowl of candy. With that, each child is given a card of one of three colors, red, green, or blue. But they're not told what these colors mean. Then the entire class is asked to line up, you know, in a horizontal line on a piece of tape. Now that is where the fun ends. Because then the kids are told that depending on what color card they have, they can either take a step forward or take a step back. For example, those who were born into a well-to-do farming family with access to education take two steps forward. For those who are unable to receive necessary training due to working multiple jobs and caring for multiple children, take two steps back. You get the gist. Now, one or two rounds of this, you start seeing kids get really upset. Some cry and scream, this isn't fair, while others just sit down and exit the game entirely. But the game is always played to completion, and there is always one child who wins the entire bowl of candy. Now, this is where things get really interesting. In one class, the winner was visibly upset and uncomfortable. I don't know what to do with all of this candy. I don't even know how to give it out. Can you help me share it? In another class, the winner got, to the, point, got the point of the exercise and shared with all of their classmates after taking out all of the candy that they wanted first. <laughs> But the common thread, the common reaction was this. All of this candy doesn't belong to me. It belongs to all of us. 
out of the mouths of babes. Friends, as I said, we completed our four-week journey. We have remembered, we have released, we have reimagined, and today our homework assignment, our word of the day, our invitation is this, restore. On your pledge cards that you have in your pew racks in front of you, my favorite part of it is this backside right here, this really empty, kind of intimidating, what do we do with this space? On this part of your pledge card, surprise, surprise, is your final homework assignment. On this, I want to encourage you, whether it's right now or maybe you'd have to take this card and actually think about it at home, I want you to commit yourself to, to acts of restoration for this community, for your church, for your family, for your relationships, for the world. Think of it as an act of stewardship or an act of generosity or an act of belonging, or an act of love. But as I also said earlier, your giving comes from a place of receiving. And what better place to receive than at the Lord's table? So as we prepare our hearts to receive the cup and the plate, I invite you to stand with me, in body or in spirit, as together we profess our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> 